My name is John Chafee. I was trained as a pastor and this is one of the ways in which I try to do something good with that education. This is Begin Again. So if you are looking for a nuanced or interesting take on the Jesus tradition and all of its wisdom and all of its perplexity and mystery, then you found the right place. I sincerely hope that this helps you to rethink some things, to maybe grow in your own way for health and holiness, for your benefit and for the benefit of those around you. So again, welcome to Begin Again. This one goes out to all the people in between two worlds, all the people between uh, the old life and the new life, what they had and what they are going to have. This is one that's meant for all the people that are feeling lost, that feel as though they're depleted, that feel as though they are on a downswing, you know what I mean? Okay, and in order to do this, I need to tell a sweeping history. And so if you find yourself in transition between one thing and another, and you just keep looking back at what you've lost and, and probably legitimately lost, this one, this one's for you, okay? <laughs> Here we go. So once upon a time, God created the heavens and the earth. Oh, got to start there. And when God created the heavens and the earth, he created Adam and Eve, the first humans. And when, they, when he did, uh, they eventually had children. Cain and Abel, and Cain and Abel were brothers, possibly twins. And Cain eventually became jealous or resentful of Abel, and so took him out to a field and killed him. And as a result, was kicked out. Actually, just like how his parents were kicked out of where they were. And so there's an echo, a repeating echo of being kicked out. Adam and Eve were exiled from the beautiful paradise that they were in, and now Cain has been exiled as well. And then a couple generations later, there's a man named uh, Abraham, and he feels this uh, sense, and he feels called by God, and he has a conversation with God to go into a brand new land, which was back in those days completely unheard of. You're supposed to do the same job and have the same lifestyle and live in the same town as where your parents did. But he broke out and went into a new land, and he eventually married Sarah. And Sarah and them and Abraham, they had a family and they had a son named Isaac and Abraham was feeling as though God wanted him to sacrifice him. And there's debate about that. And so he almost does. And then Isaac never talks to his dad ever again. And it even says that Sarah in her advanced age, when she passes away, Abraham goes to her for the funeral, which infers they split after Abraham tried to sacrifice Isaac. 
And so Isaac then has sons, Jacob and Esau, and they have competition with each other, just like, huh, Cain and Abel. Sounds like an echo. And they fight, and eventually uh, Jacob wrestles with God in the middle of the night. And as a result of it, he has a brand new identity, and he's then called Israel. He and Esau, they make up, you could say. And then Israel eventually has his own family, just like Abraham had his own family. And among them are 12, and Jacob has Joseph, the runt of the litter. And the brothers abuse, huh, Joseph, just like Cain did Abel. It's another echo. And so Joseph is sold off into slavery, but then he becomes incredibly well-known in the region, rises to the tops of the ranks, and he finds a way to bless and forgive his brothers. Then the Israelites are formed. They become an actual people group. They grow in number from not just being a family to being a small nation. But then they get taken as slaves by the Egyptians, and they're there for ten and a half generations being taken advantage of and abused until Moses, who's a shepherd, just like Abraham, is called by God to go and then to set them free. So Moses then goes and confronts Pharaoh and they have a, a bit of a back and forth, you could say. And when that happens, uh, they leave. And this is known as the Exodus with a capital E, E-X-O-D-U-S, to be called out of a place. And this becomes a major theme or idea, you could say, a story, a plot line that gets echoed for the rest of the Bible, not just the Old Testament, but into the New Testament. Exodus, Exodus, Exodus. The idea shows up over and over again about being liberated about being set free, about no longer being under an uh, oppressive regime. So Moses eventually finds out that he's not the one to take the Israelites into their own promised land, you know, kind of to go back to the promised land, to the paradise that Adam and Eve were kicked out of. And so he finds out he's not the one to lead the charge back into the promised land, but instead it's his understudy, a guy named Joshua. And Joshua does it. He does it pretty well, but even he starts to grow old in age, just like Moses. And he passes the baton off to 12 judges, huh? just like 12 tribes, 12 sons. There's an echo there. And the 12 judges... They, they reel in the Israelites. Every time they lose the plot, every time that they start to lose what's important, he or she, sometimes the, the judges are the ones that pull them back. But eventually, the judges give way to kings. And then comes the era of the kings of Israel rather than the judges. There's a number of them. They seem to go all right, but they kickstart really with a man named David, who, get this, was the runt of a litter. He was the youngest of a number of sons, just like Joseph was the youngest of all his brothers. There's an echo there, huh? So he rises and he becomes a king, and he, he actually is a pretty good king, up until 
there's this incident with a woman named Bathsheba and there's ambiguity whether or not it was an affair or, or was it a rape. And to cover his tracks, David sentences Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, to go out into the battlefield where he withdraws the troops and leaves him alone against the enemy where then he's killed. And David thinks that he's covered his tracks, but then he gets called out for it. Ugh. And everything goes to pot. Everything goes down after that. He has a son named Solomon. And Solomon chooses to build a temple to the God that liberates, to the God of the Exodus, to the God of the Israelites. And he does it using slave labor. What a hypocrite. And so this people group, the Israelites, under the leadership of Solomon, who were formerly slaves under an oppressive empire, become oppressors themselves and they use slaves. Solomon has become the new Pharaoh. There's an echo. But even he seems to repeat the same mistake as, as his father, David, and he has hundreds of wives. More than he ever should, obviously. And eventually the kingdom is split. It fractures. It divides. There's 12 tribes. Two go in one direction. The other 10 in another direction. And the kingdom is split. And this is where there's a succession of kings that sometimes do it right. But man, they seem to not do it right for long before they botch it and do it wrong. And this is where things get interesting. <laughs> because then we have three figures. They rise down, uh, rise from down below. There are voices that seem to be not heard until they almost had to shout. First was a man named Jeremiah. He was known as the weeping prophet. And he said to the Israelites, to the divided kingdom, guys, we need to remember God. I think we're losing it. We've lost the plot. We're, we're definitely not doing things as we should. And if we don't change, we are going to be exiled. Just like Adam and Eve from paradise. Just like Cain from his land. Hmm? Hmm? And so Jeremiah is not listened to. And eventually the Babylonian Empire comes through and destroys the temple, oh, which Solomon built, Solomon built, destroys and kicks them out of the land, and then obviously overthrows and dismantles their monarchy. So here are the Israelites, and they thought they would always have a land, a temple, and a monarchy, and all of them are taken away. Jerusalem is then burning. And tradition says the book of Lamentations is a book of poetry about the burning of Jerusalem. They are exiled. They become foreigners in a foreign land. They have no religious anchor because the temple is destroyed. And they have no good leadership because the kings failed them for generations. Among them also was a man named Ezekiel. He was a priest in the temple. And he saw, man, guys, we're losing the plot here. We're forgetting how holy and how good God is. If we don't change, things are going to be bad. And he was right. The people didn't listen to him just like they didn't listen to Jeremiah. 
And so he's not listened to either. The Israelites are kicked out. And then comes a third figure who's in the midst, writing at the same time, preaching, teaching at the same time as Jeremiah and Ezekiel. His name is Isaiah. And Isaiah called it, man. He said, guys, we're losing the plot. We Israelites, if we don't shape up, we're going to be kicked out into exile. And he was correct, just like Jeremiah and Ezekiel. Isaiah wrote, supposedly, a very long book. Tradition wonders if he wrote all of it, but some people like to break it into three parts. There is 1st Isaiah, 2nd Isaiah, and 3rd Isaiah. And they kind of shift in tone. One part is kind of history, another part is kind of poetic prophecy, and then there's another part that kind of is a mix of the two. But Isaiah does something fascinating. Yes, he called it. He said, guys, if we don't shape up, the punishment for us not shaping up, for us not holding our priorities correctly, is going to be exile. And of course, as you know, the Israelites are kicked into exile. But Isaiah does something interesting. Isaiah takes the exile and frames it, talks about it, speaks about it in a different way. Yes, he calls it still an exile, but he says this exile is a new exodus, just like the Israelites being slaves in Egypt under Pharaoh and were liberated by Moses and had an exodus then. Isaiah takes the whole of Israelite history, their whole people group up till this point, and reminds them of one of the most important echoes that happens in human history. Exodus. This exile is actually a new exodus. So why do I bring this up? Well, because it's very easy, right, to forget to have a long view of history. It's very easy to only focus on the now and to focus on what was immediately, recently, just now lost. And of course, many of us have gone through different experiences of loss. Let's say you could be going through losing a family member. That can be disorienting. Of course, you could be going through a divorce. You could easily be going through a job change where you were fired from a job. You could be between one thing and another. Let's say you were evicted from your home. Let's say you went through something that felt like an exile where you lost the people and the land and the faith that you thought you had. And so in that sense, maybe you've felt at certain points in your life as if you were in a triple exile just the same. You lost your land, your people, and your faith. But the thing about echoes is that echoes, they dissipate, but they do keep continuing. And there's this thematic echo of exile, of course, throughout the Bible, People have gone through exiles 
all the time throughout human history. Often we are exiled from what's familiar into what's unfamiliar. But that's where it's helpful to have someone like Isaiah or even just to read this prophet named Isaiah and to reframe the exile as if it's actually an exodus. Maybe you didn't lose as much as you thought. Maybe what you experienced was actually a liberation. But if you keep looking backwards, that's not going to help you understand what you are going through as if it's a liberating exodus from one oppressive phase of life into a liberated and free one. You know what I mean? And so I think it's going to be very important. A lot of us have to recognize the power of this simple thing called reframing. There is a way of telling your own story of loss, of people, of place, or faith, or even all three, in a way that holds you back, that keeps you angry, that keeps you resentful, that keeps you in grief and loss. And you do need to experience grief and loss and and, uh, acknowledge it and experience it, maybe write poetry, just like the Book of Lamentations. However, at another point, it is possible to write about and speak about and talk about that very event of exile as if it's an exodus. Because maybe, yes, God does give people consequences to their actions, and sometimes we deserve the exile. Correct? Just like the Israelites. They botched it. They lost the plot. They were losing sight of what's important, and they were exiled for it. They needed to be exiled. They needed that correction. But then there are other times where we need an exodus and we don't even know it. Where we need to be liberated from one phase of life into another. It's possible that many of us are actually going through exoduses that we, we continue to frame and that we continue to talk about and we continue to feel as if it's an exile. But the beauty of the spiritual traditions of the world is that everything can be redeemed. Everything that you've ever gone through, every loss of people, place, or faith, it can be redeemed. It can be revalued. It can be reinterpreted in a helpful way so that that thing is no longer a a brick wall that you slammed into. It now becomes a launch pad into what's next for you. And so what if we were to take some of these exiles that we've experienced in life to go backwards? Because let's be honest, maybe some of us went through an exile 10 or 15 years ago and didn't process it properly. Maybe it takes 10 years, 15 years, maybe even more to take the exiles that we've gone through and to reframe them as exoduses. And of course, these the the Jewish faith, the Judeo-Christian uh, understanding of God is that God is love. And that means that God actually wants exoduses for us. Even when we don't know we need it, even if we don't want it. Because God seems to be most interested 
in liberating people from what doesn't serve them anyways. So maybe that, uh, that friendship that dissolved or exploded or imploded, maybe that friend group that kicked you out, maybe that loss of a job, maybe that, uh, goodness, that marriage, it wasn't serving you. There was a slavery in it. Maybe this whole thing is actually about exoduses are difficult. They're hard to go through. They take enormous energy, just like exiles. But it's going to be vitally important for the you that you could be. For you <laughs> to frame your exiles as a new exodus. Just like Isaiah did for his people. So this one, you could say, I guess, this was a little bit of a pep talk. Perhaps you could call this one a sermon. And that's fine. It's all good. I love doing these because they're, they're kind of opportunities just for me to, to say something helpful and, and try to do something good for people that I'll never meet or talk to. So let's finish with a benediction. And this is the one that I say in my uh, one of my college classes. May you be light and life and love to the people around you. May you heal the suffering that you see in the world and within yourself. And may you help to reframe every exile as a new exodus. Grace and peace. Much love to all of you. Cheers.